You're listening to your financial planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Welcome back for our post-Thanksgiving episode. Today, we're re-airing the interview with Caleb Brown on finding jobs and launching a career as a new planner. We've noticed a few posts on this topic in the FPA Activate group, so this should be a great time to revisit this episode. So here's Caleb. He's a CFP and the co-founder of New Planner Recruiting. He first got started in the Dallas-Fort Worth area after graduating from the Texas Tech Financial Planning Program, and he's seen quite a bit in his 14 years in the profession. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just remember when I first started, I mean, there was no hiring process. I mean, there's no job description, no career track. You know, no, it's kind of like, look, I have this idea and I, I, I think it's really cool. Would you like to join me? And, you know, looking back, I was probably naive, but I said, sure, you know, let's let's do this. But that was back when I was a lot younger, didn't have a family and kids and very little responsibilities. And, you know, I didn't have to make a lot of money. And um, I was really looking for a great learning opportunity. I think um, I was aware I was not the best candidate, frankly, not the highest GPA, was not the top of my class. But I was aware enough, I think, to know that and that I knew I had a lot to learn because I'd had a pretty good internship experience. And I found out really early that financial planning is is very rewarding, awesome. You can make a lot of money doing it, but it's a very difficult profession, you know, to get human beings who are wired to make dumb financial decisions, to not make a dumb financial decision, and then make them think it was their idea not to do that. I mean, that that's a lot going on to be able to do that consistently. Cons- consistently. And I just um, was fortunate that I had some good mentors, had a good internship, and a really uh, solid entry-level uh, p- position. And, you know, we I was involved in everything. You know, the hiring, I was in every single client meeting for five and a half years, did not miss one client meeting. I had, uh, you know, we had a small number of clients. I mean, we were just a two, two-person shop, but let's say we had 50 families. And for the most part, and this, this may be scary to some of the people listening to this, but I had all their addresses memorized. I had a lot of their social security numbers memorized. I'd been to their homes. I'd been to their, the small business owners. I'd been to their places of business. You know, I knew their kids' birthdays. I mean, it was pretty scary, but I felt like it was, you know, I I was their protector and their bodyguard and they were coming to us. You know, we worked with a lot of younger people. That's back when working with Gen X and Gen Y wasn't very cool and hip. And, um, but we had a lot of people that earned high incomes that didn't have a lot of assets to manage. So a lot of the Dallas firms did not want to work with them. And that's really how we were able to build that firm. And that's, I started my career doing that, working with these high income people that, um, at that point, you know, I was in my early twenties and they were in their, mid to late 30s and maybe early 40s. Yeah, I think that's great. And one of the lines you said that it was a great learning opportunity, and that's why you took that job. And I think that's such a key. I mean, I've talked to a number of young people recently, and they're just like, you know, this job, is this the right career path to get on? And it's like, it's a great learning opportunity. Like you can figure, you have 40 years to figure out your career, like just get in. Yeah, I mean, my goal, and again, when I was looking for a position, the you know, we just had a terrorist attack. The stock market was not doing very well. The the fee-only sort of boutique RIA environment was much smaller than it is now, and there just wasn't a lot out there. And my goal was to have two offers and was, you know, by a lot of initiative and hard work and sheer determination, was able to pull that off. I had one in California that was with my internship supervisor, and that would have been a great opportunity. It paid a lot more, and I realized that 
cost of living difference. But um, I didn't think that I was going to be able to have my hand in everything like I had kind of at the startup firm that I ended up joining. And and it, and it worked out. And I mean, I you know, I would tell people that are you know calling you or or uh, other folks that might be struggling is you need to plan. I mean, we're all planners at heart, but you know, I, I wasn't sitting there, you know, spending a lot of time doing calculating on what my career I wanted to look like. I mean, I was just kind of too busy getting in there and doing it, you know, and just kind of taking initiative and just, just get in there. It doesn't have to be the perfect fit the first time, uh, but just get in there and, and try to observe and learn. Because again, this business is all about the art versus the science. I mean, if you're a physicist or you're a mathematician or you're a chemist, Okay, it's all about it's all about the science. Okay, you have a right wrong answer in financial planning, and this is something again I learned when we had all the guest speakers come in to speak to our financial planning classes. I remember kind of scratching my head one day after hearing you know a panel. It was a panel of four or five planners up there, and they all introduced themselves and said they did the same thing. They did comprehensive financial planning, and they did investment management. And then the, the, during the question and answer period. You know, we started asking questions, and we, we found out that there was like ten different definitions of what that meant. And it was just, oh, I just remember leaving that as an undergrad. You know, twenty-one-year-old kid just thinking, oh, I am just so confused. And then, you know, once getting out of the industry, I finally realized, well, I mean, it's the American public is confused as well. And there's some people in the industry that want that confusion, but a lot of people are really trying to fight against that and, and come up with some sort of consistency and, 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 and standards like some of the other, other established professions. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. So how did you transition from being this young advisor at this small boutique firm to what you're doing now? Yeah, so it was it's it's been kind of a long journey, but I was always involved in the career development standpoint. So I, I again I got right out of college and went right into a firm. And fortunately for me, looking back on this, the, the firm owner of this particular company was very heavily involved in the financial planning and the so, uh, association, and, and also NAPFA, uh, National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, and basically told me, you know, look, I, if you're going to work here, I'd really like for you to participate in this and you know, they have a, you know, you may want to even consider the career development side since you just kind of came through that and had a heck of a time, you know, finding a, a position. And I thought that was a good fit and a good suggestion because I saw a lot of people that could have been great financial planners. They were much more analytical than me, much smarter and better communicators. And they ended up not being able to find something or, you know, got you know, lured to another profession and, and we lost those people. And I thought to myself, you know, we cannot have that going forward. We've got to capture those people. So kind of made it my mission to really focus on the newer planner. That doesn't necessarily mean a, a, the new college grad. I mean, the career changers too. But at that point, everything in these the organizations that I, that I listed, FPA, NAPA, was really geared towards your 55-year-old CFP male business owner and all the CE, all the career development, because that's who was paying the bills. And I understood that. So I put my name, I, I called him up. I said, look, I want to be a, on the career development committee. I'm just starting a new, new college grad. I'm working over here in, in Dallas. And they said, okay, that's great. And then they actually called back and said, well, you know what? Trudy Turner is actually just stepping down from the career development directorship. Would you like to be considered for that? And I mean, that was, uh, you know, I'd never really had any leadership experience, never managed a committee, never really managed a budget. So 
talking about pushing me way out of my comfort zone. And I, I just said yes, you know, and, and that, was, that was me sort of, you know, wanting to stretch my skills. And, and also, if you're the director, you have, you know, a lot more power, obviously, and a, and a, and a budget to work with than versus a committee member. But usually you have to be a committee member first and you've got to work your way up. So I ended up getting, you know, I got it. No one else ran against me. And, you know, one thing I want to mention here is there was quite a big hubbub about me getting that directorship position by several members of, well, really one in particular on the board of directors. The, the, it went something like this. Why are we having a 22-year-old person who doesn't even have had any start of their career, why are they career development director? That was this person's argument, and it darn near split up the, the board, you know, the FPA board on, on the Dallas-Fort Worth. So right out of the gate, I experienced massive age discrimination, and it was not from clients. It was from my own colleagues. So got through that, and, you know, that, that was a challenge. Ended up getting through it. Someone took a chance on me and gave me power and, and a budget and a committee, and we were able to come up with the career day and mentorship programs. And, and career day is still going, still going on. Um, and I've, I've long since, you know, uh, been gone from that. So always been involved in trying to help new planners and people get into the business. And even with coming up with internships and mentorships and career day stuff, I still had firm owners contacting me and saying, Caleb, look, who are, the, who are the best candidates? What questions do I ask? How much do I pay these people? Hey, I appreciate you setting all this stuff up, but I really don't have time to go over there and interview all day long. And frankly, I don't even know what I'm doing when I'm interviewing. Can you, can you help me with this? And I was doing that pro bono for my colleagues, my other DFW FPA members, you know, on the evenings and weekends while I was helping this other person build a financial planning firm. So I, you know, I just kind of tucked that away and say, you know what, there, there is some demand here from the firm on her side. And anyways, ran into Michael Kitsis through NextGen in about 2004 or five. And it turned out he was doing the same thing. You know, we're about the same age, have a lot of the same passions. And he was doing the same thing in Washington, D.C. and trying to kind of match people up and give career advice and kind of talking to the firms and sort of being stuck right in the middle of both sides, which, which I love. And uh, so it was late 2008, um, you know, we started talking and said, you know, there might be something here and, and really started laying the groundwork for what is now a new plan of recruiting. And, you know, again, 2007, 2008, life is great, right? You know, stock market doing, doing well. And you know, <laughs> we roll out our recruiting firm in 2009. So, uh, you know, I tell this story and a lot of people say, Caleb, you were trying to get in the business in 2001. And you were trying to start a firm in uh, 2009. Um, can you tell us the next time you're going to have an act, uh, uh, thinking about having an idea or an activity or rolling out a new business so we can put our clients in cash? <laughs> so I, I get it. A lot of people think I need to have my head examined, but that was just the uh, the timing of everything, and it was it worked out fine. I mean, we yeah, we had a struggle getting firms to pay because it was a new idea. It's kind of like wait a minute, why would we hire you, New Plan of Recruiting, to do something we've always done on our own and we can do on our own? And so, you know, we sat, sort of sat around and thought about it, and then a thought popped in my head and is thinking, well, wait a minute, that, that's exactly what you're asking your clients to do. They're smart, they're intelligent, they're capable. If they wanted to, I mean, other than getting access to certain maybe investment products, they can do the investments and they could do the financial planning if they wanted to. 
And once I started positioning that way and hitting the firm owners over the head with that, I mean, it was just like dominoes. You know, they just, they're like, yep, we get it. We, we're asking our clients to outsource. We were happy to outsource this too because we know it's not our, our, our skill set. Because that was one of our biggest challenges. How are we going to get financial planners, which I, I am one, that are known, you know, per- particular to be, you know, cost conscious, uh, politically correct word. It's nice um, for saying cheap. <laughs> and yeah, so, you know, how are we going to get them to pay a fee to do something? And, you know, again, like any service business, the bottleneck is, you know, a, a lot of times the the advisor, the person giving the, the advice and, you know, for the, for the firms that want to sit there and scroll, create job descriptions, you know, instead of talking to their, you know, two and a half million dollar client or sift through, you know, 200 resumes that they got on CareerBuilder or sit there and try to research behavioral interview technique. We do not want to work with them. Okay, I learned that really early on my career. On the financial planning side, I wanted delegators. Whenever we got a delegator, we killed it. Whenever we got a validator or do-it-yourselfer, didn't work as well. And that's the same sort of approach I take when I'm screening the firms for new plan or recruiting. Do you want to delegate this? Once the trust is built up, I mean, the trust needs to be built up. I get that. But do you want to delegate this or do you want to sit there and side seat drive and have your hand on the steering wheel? And so advisors, I mean, was it just a time constraint or are advisors recognizing that they're just not good at this? I mean, are they having, were they having problems retaining or hiring good staff? Yeah, but a little bit of both. I mean, even when I was, you know, started the firm in, in, in Dallas, I mean, we would, you know, we had a lot of trouble hiring, um, you know, just the interns and people. I mean, just, um, and it's just, it just, what I found out early on, it's, it's your, tr- your, tr- your typical entrepreneur sort of visionary is not a lot of times the best at hiring people and screening people because, again, the, the human nature. They find someone that's got the same initiative or quick start. If you're if you're a follow if, uh, if you're familiar with Colby, uh, someone they like, and they just fall in love with them. And they just like oh, this person's just like me. I'm successful. They're going to be successful, and they make a lot of, of silly mistakes. So again, the role that I play on a new plan of recruiting is very similar to the role they play with their clients. They keep their clients from making dumb investment decisions, all right, on, on fear and greed. Uh, and I keep these client firms that we represent from making dumb hiring decisions because I don't fall in love with candidates. I actually take the opposite approach of what a typical financial planning firm do, to owner does. They typically start with a candidate, let's just call it 100 points. And as they start interviewing and they're like, oh, that person didn't send a follow-up, so let's, let's deduct some points. Or, oh, that person didn't say this. Or, you know, we don't feel good about this. And they start deducting points and kind of coming, you know, arriving at kind of a final score, which is a natural sort of logical approach, sort of top-down. But I take the other side. I go from bottom up. The, any candidate that contacts me starts with zero points. And they have to earn and do things to get up to 100 points. So I guess that's a great point of how do candidates earn these points, if you would? Yeah, I mean, it's, again, we're looking for people that, you know, they don't have to have the 4.0 GPA. That's not what I'm talking about here. So for anybody that, that that's listening, that is not what we're talking about. I'm talking about really effort, initiative, capability. I mean, because right now, let's face it. You don't have to, do, and, I, and I know that we've both had people that have contacted us saying, look, we're, we're struggling, you know, trying to find a job, but you really don't have to do anything right now to get a job. You really don't have to do anything. There's firms out there throwing job offers and throwing money at any warm body they can find because they're hurting so bad, and we just have a lack of 
of talent. I mean, we have the millennials generation is the uh, largest generation in the workforce right now, uh, like 55 million. And it's, uh, they're not picking financial planning. I mean, we're on pace for about six or 7,000 people to take the CFP exam this year. So that, that's not good. That's not, that's not good. So how do they earn these points? They show me initiative. They go above and beyond sort of the minimum. I have all this stuff in my screening process and all these little things that I measure. And really, it's, it's pretty simple. I just sit back and just watch how the candidate handles things. You know, do they, do they call in on time? Do they send follow-ups? Um, if I uh, give them a chance to rework a problem, do they blow it off or do they do it? So, you know, and remember, I was an undergrad. I was in, you know, my early 20s uh, at some point, and, and that's not all the candidates that, that we work with. But I'm looking for the effort because if the effort and the initiative there, I mean, if somebody can get through college, I mean, they can figure out the financial planning. They can learn the retirement and the estate and all that stuff. But is the work ethic there um, you know, what kind of questions? Hey, Caleb, you sent me on this interview and I didn't get it. Can you give me some feedback? I really want to improve. You, you would be surprised on how many people do not ask for that. And the reason why they don't ask for it is because deep down, they don't want to know. We don't like knowing why we got rejected. That's human nature. We don't like knowing what our faults are. So somebody that has the awareness or some thick skin to say, look, this is crazy. I, I, I need to get better. You know, it's, it's me. It's kind of like that financial advisor who just started their firm. It's like, you know what? These, you know, these darn clients, you know, I, I just, I'm having trouble, you know, getting them, getting them signed up. They're just not a good fit. They just, I didn't want to work with that person or they're just not getting me what I'm doing. And my, it's kind of like, no, there's one common denominator here. You need to look in the mirror. It's your issue. It's your fault. So, People don't want to find that out typically, and, it, and it's hard. And I was fortunate enough, again, on my internship where <laughs> fortunate is kind of a uh, maybe a mixed-use word, but somebody gave me constructive criticism and direct feedback all the time. And, you know, at the end of the internship, that was one of the things they said, the reason why we made you an offer is because we kept knocking you down and you kept getting back up. And again, I was overly sensitive to that because I knew I wasn't the best candidate on paper. So the best candidates on paper, they don't have to do that type of stuff, and they know they don't. But really to succeed at the client firms that I represent, which are typically the upper echelon financial planning firms out there, you've got to have that. You've got to have the initiative. You've got to have the, um, you know, again, looking for candidates that don't take the, the path of least resistance. You know, when a candidate that calls me up and says, look, Caleb, I'm a CPA or I'm a JD or, you know, I have one of these other, I'm a CFA, um, but I want to pursue my CFP certification. Well, all they have to do is really is take one class and go take, you know, sit for the exam. But when someone says, when I tell them that and they say, look, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really interested in that. I'm going to go through and spend the money and the time to go through the classes because I really want to learn that. That's the type of stuff that we're looking for in candidates. And it's very rare, unfortunately. Yeah. You were talking about, you know, when people don't get an interview, they come back to you and say, you know, why didn't I get this interview? Like, how can you, how, how can I improve? If somebody isn't working with you, how would they get that feedback? I mean, can, I mean, you can't, maybe you can, I mean, could you just go back to that firm and say, why didn't I get the job? Or, I mean. 
Yeah, it's it's tough. How do you I mean, prove yourself? And that's what happens a lot of times too. Sometimes the candidates will contact me directly, or sometimes they'll they'll contact my client. You know, I sit them <laughs> on the interview with, and my client will forward the email to me and say, "Hey, Kayla, we can you handle this?" Uh, again, I think one of our uh, additional value adds where we can have the uncomfortable conversations. You know, candidate, how much are you making? What are you expecting? You know, a lot of times firm owners don't like, you know, they're kind of nervous to ask that for whatever reason, because if a candidate doesn't give us their expectations or comp or sort of where, I mean, they're not in the process. They're not going to be considered. So um, you can ask the firm owner, um, and, and I think that goes a long way. I mean, you know, they're, they're still not going to change their mind, but um, for, for ones that will give you direct feedback and aren't afraid of hurting your feelings, hurting people's feelings, that's why most people don't. Oh, you're not a you know, good fit at this time and kind of leave it open because they just don't want to hurt people's feelings. And with good reason, because like I said earlier, you don't want to put someone's flame completely out. Okay. If you have a flame burning inside your candle, burning inside, putting it, you know, douse, dousing it with water and putting it out and getting someone saying, you know what, I can't even succeed in this profession. I'm going to go be a, you know, bank teller. You know, that's not, and there's nothing wrong with bank tellers. I'm just making an example of people that I saw, you know, leave the industry because, Someone was, you know, just too hard on them or they couldn't find a fit and they could have been a good, they could have been a good planner. They just, the timing was off or they didn't do well in the interview or for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also think, I mean, would you say like the, finding a good mentor would also help with some of that feedback? I, I think so. I mean, one of the, one of the things that, you know, I know we wanted to talk about was how do these people excel? And one of the points I wanted to make was, Again, even if you're just kind of an average candidate out there, I mean, it shouldn't be, I mean, firms are hiring. You're either not looking in the right place. Uh, I mean, you can go to our website right now and, you know, we got a you know, dozen or so firms, uh, may not be in the city that you want to go to, but uh, there, there are people out there hiring. I mean, you can take some initiative. I mean, if you're in the DFW area, I mean, look at the size of that. I mean, it's a metropolis. There's tons of firms there. And even if they don't have a job posting, you know, reach out to them. Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, interested in getting this field and just try to develop a relationship. And, um, so, I mean, the, the mentorship piece is, uh, I think paramount to sort of building your, your, your professional skills. And again, I was fortunate enough where I had a couple people that kind of took me under their wing because I kind of asked them, let me, let me just give you a quick story on my internship. Um, I was out there and I was kind of being paid to work eight to five. What, what I realized was my boss, the person that hired me, you know, he, he was slammed during eight to, the eight to five business hours, phone calls, client meetings. I got to, you know, participate in some of that stuff. And I was thinking, you know, man, I drove all the way out here from Texas and I'm spinning out here and things are going fine. But, you know, I went to him and I said, you know, Larry, I'd, I'd really like to try to, um, you know, just talk to you and kind of spend some more, you know, you know, one-on-one time with you if I could. And he said, well, Caleb, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much book solid from eight to five. So, what I did is I said, okay, so I clocked out at five o'clock, you know, a few days after that I clocked out, said, you're not no longer paying me. And I stayed up there. I stayed at the office and just, you know, working on my own stuff or just reading or doing something. So I was not being paid for this time. And like six or six thirty, when he sort of finished his day was when he had time for me that's when, you know, we were able to talk and chat and he'd ask me how it went. And, you know, he saw that I sort of took that initiative. Um, and again, that's just kind of common sense. It's not like it was some, you know, um, 
idea that was just, you know, no one had ever thought about before. It's just like, look, let's, let's be cognizant of his time. You know, it's, it's very appreciative, very humble approach. And Larry said, started, you know, and then one, I mean, we did that for a couple of days. And then one evening he said, Hey, why I'm going to go have dinner over here. Why don't you come with me? And then we sat, we had dinner together. And I remember like the next week, he's like, you know what? I'm going to make a trip to, uh, you know, Sam's and Costco and get some stuff for the office. Would you want to come with me? And again, some of the people listening on this guy, Caleb, you're a moron. Why would you waste your time when you could have been playing video games? You could have been touring the San Francisco Bay Area. You're over here going to, you know, Walmart with your your internship boss. That is lame, dude. The the thing about it is, and the point that I want to make is, I got so much more from those interactions. You know, he had me to his home. We had dinner with his family. I got to go play golf at his golf club several times, which was a big expense on his part. But he, we would sit there and he would show me like, look, see that person over there sitting at the table? He knew their story and he'd tell me about how he tried to pitch them for business and kind of who he was working with and just all these great insights that I was not able to get within the walls of his office at my internship. And that's something that I'm forever grateful for because I realized when I came back and I had to present to my classmates on my internship experience, no, no one else got to do anything like that you know they all had great internships but it's like look kind of sit here and you know do the retirement plans and do the cost basis and there's nothing wrong with that but again we are in a business of being paid for what you know it's the presence it's the insights or the gravitas that you and the confidence that you and the wisdom that you bring to client situations because there's thousands and thousands of people out there that know the differences of you know all the irs tax code you know, but for people that can guide these people, get them to make good decisions, understand that, you know, when a spouse in a client meeting does this, you know, folds their arms or crosses their leg, I mean, what does that mean? That means maybe they're not listening to you or maybe they're listening, they're just not agreeing. And not. Learning all that stuff in your early 20s, like I was able to get some exposure to, and I'm not going to, you know, be as arrogant to say I learned it because I'm still learning it. Uh, but it's, that's the stuff that makes a good advisor. Yeah, that's a great story and a great way to show how initiative can be played out rather than just another designation or, you know, something that can be seen on paper. I think it's also interesting to note that advisors want to share. I mean, I think a lot of times I hear young people say, you know, well, nobody, nobody has time. And it's like, well, I think they do. It just might not be traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, so what else? For the young advisor who's listening, or not even the young advisor, for any new advisor that's listening, it could be career changer, um, what other things can they do to help them excel in their career, especially at the beginning? Got it. Yeah, a couple points. Um, You know, when you get into one of these small, I mean, one of the challenges with our profession is, especially in the smaller independent firms that I tend to, I mean, I I tend to recruit for your your fee-only or your fee-based RIAs anywhere from you know, my smallest client was probably 50 million in assets, so 500,000 in revenue, all the way up to 6 billion, you know, in, in AUM and, you know, 25, 30 million in revenue, something like that. My average client's probably in the two to $500 million range, so two to five million in, in revenue. Um, and there's not a lot, of, they don't, they cannot offer and they don't offer, and a lot of them don't want to offer the same training you would get at corporate America. And a lot of candidates don't want that and don't need that. But that is kind of one of our challenges because the boutique nature of our 
of, of our, our firms that we represent and sort of our service model most I mean the, the customization this is where a lot of new people struggle well Caleb at the bank all I had to do was just fill out this form and it was the same time every time no you cannot do that in this new position I'm putting you at because the Smiths want it this way the Joneses want it this way the Millers like having this other form and you need to be familiar enough with the client situation to figure all that out and not make a mistake because it's already been documented, but you're the new person. And that's, that's a struggle, and, and, and everybody struggles with that because you've always got to try to find that, that balance of efficiency and customization. And for people that are changing careers, especially you corporate America people out there, where you had you know, de departments that sent faxes and you, know, you just did the same form every time, you know, you're, you're going to have to loosen up the rigidness a bit. All right, so that, that, that's a long way of saying, I mean, the, the training, don't wait around for someone to quote unquote train you. Get on there and look at the webinar, you know, webinars, you know, look at the, uh, the chat rooms on the software programs. You know, again, one, one of the ways to maybe earn points and, and to really get these firm owners to see you, and I had a, a couple candidates do this over the years is, you know, we've gotten them a, a job and, you know, they're going to start, you know, let's say October 1st. Okay, so they've got basically a month um, since we're at the end of in August now. Um, well, why don't you reach out to the firms and say, "Hey, send me all the uh, the employee the manuals on all these programs that you're using. Can can you give me access to the CRM so I can start reviewing the client files? That way, when I get there, I'm not going to have to learn all that. I'm going to be ready to go." I mean, that's what, that's what the top 1% of candidates, that's their approach. You know, they may say it differently or, or do something differently, but versus, man, I got a lot to do in the next month. I got to get my cable bill changed and I got to get, you know, move out of mom and dad's house and I got to get a new car and I got, I mean, where it's all about them and sort of what they have to do. I tell you, anybody that's listening, if a candidate does, you know, those couple things and reaches out and said, you know, because this, this is what I did. You know, when I was getting my first job, you know, the sh I got emailed the Schwab Institutional User Guide. It was like 700 pages <laughs> sitting there like, okay, and I'm not going to be able to memorize all this, but I need to try to read through it. That way, when I get there, it's not like, okay, I'm here. Y'all teach me. I'm ready to go. You just hired me. And I know that's the millennial mindset, and I have no problem, you know, giving constructive criticism to millennials because I am one. All right, so this is not some baby boomer on here saying that we all suck, uh, but you just need to be aware of that. So don't wait around for someone to train you. Um, I think again, just saying yes. If if you're you're in a you know, hey, we we want to pull you into this um, investment committee meeting. I know that's not really your job, and I know you got 16 plans on your desk that you're waiting to get done. Why don't you come over here and just observe and you know participate? Okay, sounds good. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I've gotten to where I am today. We're just saying yes. A lot of it was kind of outside, you know, the office and more of these professional organizations, but people would ask me to speak or ask me to do this or that. And a lot of times it was, you know, it was work. I had to, I had to do stuff and, you know, I didn't get a client from it. You know, I think that's one of the biggest sort of hesitations, I think, from a lot of these people. It's like, well, why don't I join FPA? Why don't I join NAP? I'm not going to get a client from them. If that's your your approach, you know, God bless you. I mean, I think you're going to have it. You're going to have a tough career um, because, you know, I tend to um, operate, operate out of the mentality of abundance, you know, not scarcity. 
And so saying yes to things, uh, I think bringing ideas to firms too. You know, one of the things I, I did my internship and we were doing some cool things out there. So I took, and I only did one internship again, which is not what a top candidate would do. A top candidate would say, only one internship is required for me to graduate or for whatever it is. I'm going to go do three. Okay, that's what a top candidate does. And then you take all those ideas. So I went back to my, my firm and now everybody does this. And it was a very simple idea. It's like, you know what, instead of just printing something out and giving to the client saying, here's all your stuff, why don't we just plug our computer into a TV monitor on the screen? So this is like 2002, okay? Plug our TV monitor into our computer and pull up the client situation and show them some things. And you know what, we've, we've built some scenarios that they, we think they might want to look at. And that way I can create a scenario too that maybe we haven't thought of or they wanted to see on the fly. I mean, that was like 2002, that was like a cutting edge idea. No one was doing that. Now, every single firm in the entire country does that. So it's just things like that where the client saw us differently, and that helped us get a lot of business in. And I was, I mean, again, I wasn't bringing a book of business. I wasn't bringing a lot of technical knowledge. I passed the CFP exam. I didn't have an MBA. I had an undergrad at that point, and I had a three-month internship. So most firm owners, unfortunately, in our industry would look at that and say, why, why would I pay you again? You're not bringing anything. And I mean, I, and I can see the point, you know, it's like, I don't have a book of business. I'm not bringing revenue, but you've got to figure out ways to generate value in other way, in other areas. Uh, another thing too, just kind of maybe a pitfall to avoid is just because a new salary survey comes out, don't print it out and put it on your boss's desk and say, look, I want to have a meeting about this and why I should make more money. I mean, back to my earlier point, they don't care what the salary surveys say, okay? <laughs> so if you, want, if you feel like you need to make more money, you need to write up a plan and go to them and say, look, here's what I've done. I've saved you know, the, the firm money. I've improved efficiencies. I've brought in some new clients. I've you know, freed this person up where they can do this. You need to give tangible things versus, well, somebody in, um, you know, in, our, in a different area or even in our area in the same size firm is making this. I should. Please do not take that approach. All right, the firm owners just—I mean, I, I get that from firm owners all the time. They get frustrated. Uh, I think learning the clients, and I already tried to t touch on this. If you're in a client-facing role, obviously, but get in that CRM and go back and look at look at 20 years back. It's your job if you're going to be someone's advisor to go back and learn the history on that. And some of the candidates on this are going to say, "That's nuts. I'm not going to spend time doing that." You're not a top candidate. That's what it comes down to. Uh, know your limitations. <clears throat> I think a lot of people, when they first start out, I was guilty of this too. I want to be able to be everything to everybody, and I want to know everything, and I want to know all the question, answers to the questions. Not going to happen. Not going to happen in financial planning. I mean, there's people that have been doing this for 30 years that have you know dozens of designations. And they don't know all the answers. All right, so have the confidence to say, you know what, I don't really know the answer to that. Let me check with my senior advisor and get back. That is totally fine. As long as you're not saying that every single time, that is totally fine. And the clients will see you and I think appreciate, they'll see you in a different light and they'll appreciate that. And your senior advisor will as well. Now you need to take a swing and, you know, do the best you can. And, and I think a good approach for, for maybe the newer people that are looking is whenever you're asked to do something, get it, get it as far as you can, 90% of the way and go to your senior advisor and say, look, I've done as good as I can here, and I've, I've gotten it, but I think it's missing something. I think I've got it about you know, 75, 80% of the way. Can you review this and sort of help me get it to where it needs to be before it's client ready? If you take that approach, these people that hire you, 
they're, they're going to be all over that. They're going to say, yeah, let me drop what I'm doing or, you know what, come back at 2 o'clock. We'll look at that. And we'll get it over. I mean, candidates don't take that approach. In fact, candidates actually take the opposite approach. Here's what I get a lot of times, especially with the Gen X and Gen Y employees. Caleb, why did this, um, you know, this person we just hired, why didn't they tell me they were going to miss a deadline? Client showed up and they, they said they were going to get the plan done. They didn't get it done. You know, and then I have to call the employee. It's like, well, I, you know, I didn't want to tell them and, you know, feel like I let them down. I'm like, okay, hold on a second here. <laughs> you just let them down publicly. You could have done it privately. All right. You got to go to these people. And it's like, well, it's, it's insecurity. I'm afraid, I'm just hired, I'm afraid to say, look, I can't get that done, that's too much work, they're going to think I'm not a very good hire, or they're going to think I'm not a very good candidate. Wrong. They're going to think that after you screw up in front of their $5 million client. Okay, so it's just a, it's a, it's a mindset. So there's, you know, I've got a lot of other ones here. I mean, some of the other simples are just simply doing what you say you're going to do. You know, I learned this from one of my mentors early on. I said, Caleb, you will be ahead of most people in business if you just simply do what you say you're going to, because a lot of people don't. All right. So, and I kind of took that one step further and, you know, I tend to try to, you know, under promise and really over deliver, you know, and, and sometimes that can get you into trouble. You may lose out on business or, or, or something, but again, for the newer people that are just starting, because you're going to be going into controlled chaos. A lot of times they're going to be hitting you with all this stuff. You're going to have to juggle and organize, you know, organize it. Um, there's all these competing deadlines, all right, so if the, if the Smiths are coming in on Friday, all right, and they want, they want it to, and you think you can have the, done, the, the plan done by Monday, tell them you'll have it to them on Wednesday. Build in a little extra time. They're not going to think you're a horrible candidate. Now, they may come back to you and say, that's not acceptable. We need it done quicker because we may have to make some revisions. But I see these sort of new planners all the time cutting it so close, missing deadlines. And that's, that's probably by far what frustrates these firm owners the most, the most is not letting them know what's happening on the workflow. Uh, and I think, too, just focus, finally, focusing on your presence. Okay, if you've got an education, whether it's in financial planning or not, you can be successful in financial planning. Focus on your presence. This is all about presence. How, because when that firm owner is interviewing you, they're not really, I mean, they're, they're interested in your story, but they're just, the, the, the lens they're looking at you through is, can I put this person in front of the Joneses? Will the Joneses be comfortable with this person in the meeting sitting next to me or eventually sitting by themselves? So that's how you need to approach it. So what you need to do, and again, no one likes doing this, pay attention to how you come across on the phone. Pay attention to how you come across in emails and letters in your written communication. And also now, you know, it's probably more prevalent than ever. I mean, I think letter writing is basically done um, and we've moved over to, you know, video. Uh, which is great for the for the younger generations, uh, but how do you come across? How do you come across? Do you come across as confident, as cool, collected, or are you you know fidgeting all over the place? You know, and I and I have video calls with these candidates that we screen, and it's amazing. You know, I had one guy wear a, wear a hoodie one time. I had some people chewing gum. A lot of people drink water and coffee, and you know, not that the water and coffee is bad, but you know, again, it's. You need to make sure that you're always approaching it like this is a client situation and you want, you want to make sure you have the utmost professionalism. And um, So record yourself. I remember when I had to do this, recording myself on the phone when I was in my early 20s. Guys, it was terrible. Some of you may think it's terrible now, but it was terrible then, a lot worse. 
no one, again, no one likes listening to themselves on video. We sound differently, but you need to be aware and make adjustments because how you're coming across could cause your client not to take your advice. And if they don't take your advice, you're a failure as an advisor. One of the things that I hear a lot of advisors talk about is being a bad fit at their firm. How do, how do you know if you're a bad fit at your firm? Like, what are the symptoms of that? From the candidate's perspective? Yes. Yeah, I think um, when people, when you realize that people do not want to spend the time mentoring you, um, they're short in sort of their communication or their attitude, um, you, you may feel, I mean, you, you can just feel it. It's, it, it, it. it's hard to describe in words, but it's kind of like, what, what's going on here? Um, maybe things aren't turning out as, as they planned. You're not getting to work on client situations like you thought, probably like, look, you know, this person's not going to work out. We're not going to introduce them to all our clients. So there, there's some, and there's others, but I mean, those are, those are some pretty telltale signs of this isn't a fit. You know, your, the, your coworkers, um, you know, there's, there's just no gratitude or, or grace or gratefulness. It's like, just get this done. Um, you're getting pretty much 100% constructive negative feedback versus, um, hey, you know, nice job on that. Um, you know, maybe they even skip a, a you know, a check-in or a, a review that, that you're supposed to have, that you're supposed to, you know, that's, that's supposed to be scheduled. So, and, and you'll know pretty quick. I mean, you should be, again, if you have awareness, and this is one of the things I didn't mention earlier is the, you need to develop empathy. If you don't have empathy, you, you've got to develop empathy on it. I think that's one of the, the best skills for, for an advisor to try to be able to put themselves and in that person's shoes. And that could be hard if you're just sort of getting started. And, and yeah, you can't relate to that person who lost maybe their mother and father from cancer or has been not diagnosed and, you know, has made it through breast cancer. But just kind of having the empathy and learning through psychology and counseling classes and, and resources on what to say in those situations or, more importantly, what not to say, and maybe just sitting there. You know, I, I think I, I may have shared this on, an, on another talk I gave, but when I was in my early 20s, um, I, you know, I was the first line of contact for all of our clients. They would call me. Um, that's how we positioned it. And I remember the hardest question I ever got was, you know, Caleb, um, me, me and the wife are about to get a divorce. And I was not married at the time, you know, didn't have kids, had certainly not been through a divorce. And I was like, oh my goodness, what? What do I say? How do I handle this? And, you know, they didn't teach me that at Texas Tech. <laughs> okay. um, and it's tough stuff. And if you, again, if you're positioning yourself as a client's quarterback and ingrained in their life, you're going to get that type of stuff. And I think you want that type of stuff because that, you know, somebody can go get investment management anywhere. All right. But they can't get that stuff. I mean, a robo advisor is not going to be able to handle that situation. And, you know, I don't even remember what I said, but what I do remember is just sitting there listening and, you know, just saying, you know, t tell me more about that. What's, what's going on? And just trying to shut up, which is very hard when, you know, you're a younger advisor and you want to show how much you know, and, you know, you know, all the laws and all this stuff. So, um, so developing, I kind of got off on a tangent there, but developing empathy, um, you know, back to the bad fit. I mean, you, you, you will know, I mean, if you have the awareness, um, you'll know that something's just not right. For people who are still in college or just kind of on the look at, you know, in corporate America, wanting to make a career change, where do they go to find jobs? 
Yeah, and this is a tough one. I mean, I, I wish I could say, well, just go to our website or just go to this website and there's all the positions all consolidated, nice and neat, and you just go through and pick the ones you want. And, you know, I think that it just that, that doesn't, it does not exist at this point. Um, you know, a couple of resources for you that you, you may have know or not know already, but, you know, NAPFA's got a, a job board. Um, CFP board has one. Um, FPA has one. Uh, AICPA has one, you know, sometimes there'll be some um, financial planning spots on there. It's mostly accounting, you know, uh, audit type stuff. But, uh, you know, I mean, you can check the non-industry specific stuff like Monster and Career Builder, but you're going to get a lot of the salesy opportunities on there. And, you know, hey, who do you know? Who can you bring over? And, you know, how much insurance can you sell your grandma? That type of thing, um, which may or may not be the role that you're looking for. Uh, you know, and that's one of the things that we tried to do. Our our site, um, you know, you can you can go you can visit that as well. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, we're we're a small firm, and I don't take every firm owner that calls me and says they want to post a job or they want us to recruit for them. So we're very selective on who we work with, and the reason why is because we tend to work with a lot of the top candidates, and I know I've got to have a very compelling story to go to them and say, look, you need to put all those other job offers aside and look at this and here's why. So, um, so there's no centralized database, but I think, you know, those, those are the job boards. I mean, I think getting out there, you know, ponying up the money and going to a TD Ameritrade conference, ponying up the money and going to a NAPFA conference, um, you know, ponying up the money and, and trying to go to, you know, a custodian conference or an FPA conference, local, regional, um, you know, you can go, obviously go to the local FPA stuff there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and just meet these people and just talk to them. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm Caleb Brown. I'm, I'm just here's here's my story. I'm thinking about getting in the financial planning profession. Can you just tell me about your firm and, you know, why you're so successful? Financial planners love to talk about themselves. So if you position it that way, you will get lots and lots of valuable information about you know, what mistakes they made, um, what, what they did, you know, did, did well. Um, and it's at the very end of the conversation, it's like, well, that's great. Well, if you ever have an, you know, internship opening or, a uh, you ever want to hire someone, definitely, you know, here's my card. I'd love to talk with you further about that. I mean, that is a non-threatening, I know you're only getting one side of the role play here, but that's a, if you take that approach, I mean, when I'm walking around the conference halls at, you know, one of these conferences, and I got, you know, 16 meetings I'm supposed to go to, I may be presenting in five minutes, and someone comes up to me and says that, I'm going to make the time for them. Because again, that is not what the average job seeker does. Well, and I think it's also when, when you go to these networking events, like the local FPAs, the firm owners are always looking for good people. I mean, I'm finding that in myself. I mean, because I'm a firm owner, it's, you know, you're always, I'm seeing people, I'm like, man, I wish I could hire them or man, I wish, you know. So I think that thought process is always there. You're just kind of, you're putting yourself in a spot where hopefully that could connect. So you do a lot with the Colby test and like these personalities. Are there personalities that are not a fit for financial planning firms or how, how does that play? Like if you're a certain personality, are you just never going to make it or what is your perspective on that? 
the, the short answer is is no, but the typical financial planner answer uh, further is more of it depends. Um, it really depends on what the firm is looking for. But we we've, we've placed people with all sorts of personalities in all types of firms all throughout the country in all types of positions. So, no, if you're and, and this is I'm glad you brought this up, Hannah, because this is a good thing to look at because a lot of people think, oh my gosh, I'm an introvert. I'm, you know, I'm going to have to sit in the back office and I'm never going to be able to, to do anything and my income is going to be limited and I'm just a horrible person, you know, uh, because all the extroverts, I mean, they're the ones always out there and the client facing and, you know, all the, all the ones that, you know, are always sharing their ideas and speaking up and no, don't. I mean, I think some of the best planners out there and some of the ones that you know their names and see nationally, those people are introverts. All right. At the end, and all that means at the end of the day, they just want to go by themselves to relax and recharge. Doesn't mean they're not good with people. Doesn't mean they can't be successful. Doesn't mean they can't have their own firm. All right. So, and that's another uh, sort of mistake I see in, in sort of these when I'm interviewing people is, Ken, it's all different type of ages. I mean, I, I think they think that they need to all say, yeah, I want to have my own firm someday. And I wanted to make the point on here on as it, it, most people should actually not start their own firm. Okay, I'll just put that out there. And I know a lot of the people that have businesses built on people starting their own firms are not going to be happy with that. But the fact of the matter is, if you've ever read E-Myth, E-Myth Revisited, is most of the people out there are technicians and not the entrepreneur side. And they try to start a business. And, and some of them are successful. Okay. But that turns into other challenges later. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm a technician. I was good at financial planning. Now I got all these clients and all this staff. And man, I don't know what I'm doing. And my life sucks. I get that a lot from not only candidates, but also firm owners on, man, I got this big thing I didn't even you know, want. Um, I just want to do financial planning and take care of my clients and not have to worry about all this other stuff. And there's some moves you can make there. I mean, you can obviously hire and outsource a lot of things. But the, the point to the candidates here is do not think you are a lesser candidate if you do not desire to have your own firm. Okay, I'm going to say it one more time. Do not think you're a lesser candidate if you do not desire to have your own firm. Because you, you hear about the success stories. You see them in the magazines. What you don't hear about is all the people that did not make it. So there's plenty of places for you. Like Hannah said, there's a lot of firm. I mean, everybody I talk to is hiring. I mean, they're, all, they're always hiring. They're always, because it's so hard to find good people that have the presence, have the empathy, have the initiative, have just the awareness on what's going on. So I think it's, I, I think it's important on, um, uh, in, in kind of that vein that just making sure it's not a bad thing. Okay, you don't really have that long to work. You need to be doing something that you need to enjoy, and that's where the personality test and the, and the Colby is actually a conative test, not an affective measure. So it measures work style preference, um, not introversion, extroversion, that type of thing. But I would encourage you to take a few of those uh, tools if you haven't already. I mean, you can simply Google personality work style test, and there's you know millions of hits. Um, and you can, you know, you can go to my website or, you know, Google us and I've written about them in the past. Um, and, and that might give you a starting place, but it's good to kind of understand, you know, yourself. A lot of people have taken Myers-Briggs when they were in college. Um, but that's really for high school seniors to help them pick a major, not, not necessarily a career. So, you know, you need to be a little careful and be able to take this with a grain of salt if they have the, um, uh, we use it as part of our screening process, but it's by no means 
sort of the you know the the, the gospel of you know whether this candidate's going to be a good fit or not. Uh, but understanding yourself and your strengths and and also your limitations are going to put you ahead again of most candidates. Well, and people who don't want to be a firm owner, I think they are even more valuable hires for the entrepreneur because you're not competing. You have different skill sets and different aspirations. That, that, that's right. I mean, just really quickly on that, it's kind of like the firm owners that contact me and say, yeah, I mean, I want someone just like me who's 20 years younger, but I don't ever want them to leave and I want them to work for me. For, and it's like, oh, well, hold on a second here. You, you, you left a firm to start your own firm. So you're, you're wanting it both ways here and it doesn't work that way. And that's exactly right. I mean, your, your type A, sort of your hard drivers, you know, that unless they're calling the shots. And I can think of two people right now that are perfect examples that I know in my career and I've been fortunate enough to work with and, you know, help guide them. But, you know, they, they were working for other people. They were miserable. They were bouncing around. They got fired a couple times. Now one of them it has his, his own successful financial planning firm, and the other one, you know, has a uh, a platform for you know uh, next generation planners, and they're doing what they love, and they're it fits their personality and, and skill set, and they're killing it, and it's awesome to see. Yeah, finding the right fit is so important. Given kind of your career track as we're winding up here. How has your perspective changed from when you were the 22-year-old to now? And like, what advice would you have for that 22-year-old? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's good. I mean, I think that I'm, I'm not going to say old, older and wiser. I don't want to use the older one. But I think just understand there's more wisdom on how the profession works and, um, you know, just kind of rubbing shoulders and hobnobbing with a lot of these more established planners that have that I've met through the FPA and just kind of seeing how they approach things and, you know, trying to get some of their wisdom to rub off on me and even asking them for, you know, um, directly for, you know, how do you handle this situation and, and, you know, how do, can you, can you help me here and um, on the wisdom and the experience and, and the professionalism side. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it's when I was 22, when I was in my early, I mean, it's like, it was just kind of like, Hey, I got nothing to lose. Let's just blast, you know, blast through it. Let's let's do it, and and kind of have that wide-eyed view, which I think is good, and I still have some of that, um, but you know, maybe not as as, as much now. Um, so what I would encourage people to do is try to keep that same zest and that same passion, and you know, this is something that I challenge myself on. On you know, let let's look at that. Don't don't discount that idea that you had. You know, let I mean that 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 could work out. Um, it may be, it may not work, but it, you know, at least try it. Um, versus being more cautious, I think maybe as we get older, I think we get a little more cautious. Um, you know, some of the entrepreneurs maybe don't, but um, <laughs> kind of having that same that same passion and and really just never losing sight of why you're in this business and why it gets you excited to get up every morning and, and, and come in and take care of these clients or serve these advisors or, or whatever you're out there doing. Um, I mean, cause again, when I, frankly, when I was around, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I mean, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't realize it would be this great. I mean, I had no idea that I would be able to do, you know, what I want to do, you know, after only a few years in, in, in the industry. Um, so I think it provides a lot of good uh, opportunities and also flexibility because if you, again, we always get the knock on, 
you know, we need to be more like established professions, which I agree to a certain extent. But if you go to an established profession, you really, it, it's hard to have an impact. It's hard to shape and change, you know, something that's been around for thousands of years. And I think that's why this is so exciting. And you're seeing this. I mean, with a lot of the, the disruptors that are coming out and, you know, I'll challenge the people that are listening to this is maybe you're the next disruptor. You know, mm-hmm. you're the idea that you have or what you've been thinking about. Get that out there. Run with that. You know, again, depending on your personality, you know, you may be thinking, oh, that's, I, I just, that's not going to work. That's, I would encourage you to flesh it out. Go, go there. Get, get, get it rolling out. It may, you may end up failing, but as all the sort of, the, you know, people a lot wiser and smarter than me say, you know, you got to fail, you know, a lot of times. And a lot of these people that you see out there that have been successful, you know, you didn't hear again about the 10 times that they, you know, did something dumb or failed or, you know, maybe, you know, financial jeopardy before they got to that level. So just trying to keep the initiative, trying to keep the passion, um, and, and even when you feel like you have made it, which you should never really feel like, um, you, you haven't and always to kind of have that degree of humbleness on, you know, Hey, this is where if someone called, you know, Hey, I need to get five minutes of your time. Can I talk to you about this? Because it's easy to maybe want to blow those people off. And I mean, this is maybe a, a beef that I have with kind of the founding generation, at least some of them remember where you, you came from. And remember that someone trained you, too, so you need to pass that wisdom and experience along to them. As always, thank you for listening. 